Good day. Oh, wait, wait. That's not me. That's sorry. That's not me. I haven't done this in a while. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Uh, now it's my turn. Okay, good. It's been a while. Uh, life's been crazy. The Bearcats have been crazy. I don't even know. Did we talk about Temple? Don't remember. Have we talked about East Carolina? Have no clue. Uh, good news is the Bearcats didn't get curb stomped by 40 by Houston. Uh, but tonight we're coming off a rousing victory against a very, 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 I don't know how to describe them, South Florida team. It is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. It's great to be back with you, buddy. And you are not exaggerating. When you you know allude to the fact that we are now probably working on an unexpected two weeks off of recording the podcast, largely unintentional. This was not something that we necessarily planned, uh, but life happens sometimes on both fronts. Both of us busy in our personal lives to some extent. Uh, I was left alone with with a couple of young children for for an extended period of time due to uh, work obligations for my lovely partner, and uh, you know. There's not a lot of podcasting time that's available in those cases, but uh, alas, it's, it's good to be back, Hummer. Excited to chat about the Bearcats basketball team, the recent developments. I mean, you're talking about moral victories, the ultimate moral victory when you, you talk about the good news is that we lost to Houston by 22. You're taking that as good news somehow. Um, I don't believe we've actually recorded a podcast since we lost at Temple in devastating fashion. Bearcats have gone two and one since they had a game postponed during that time. Let's get into it, sir. I think we start with the basketball team. We start with the the most recent victory over South Florida, a team that is very bad uh, on a home floor that has no atmosphere or no intimidation factor. Um, Before we actually, can I, can I want to interrupt you for a second? Before we get into that game, I just want to knock, I don't want, I want to get the Houston game out of the way because I don't want to talk about it very long because it wasn't good. Right. And okay. There's just not a whole, I don't think there's a whole lot to dive in there. There's not a lot to read between the leaves because Houston's a very good team. But here's what I was picturing in my mind. All right. I'm picturing one of those hype videos, right? Where it's just like, oh, the dogs, the terribleness, right? 38 points. You're, you're going back. You know, it, it flashes Sunday, February 21st, number five, Houston, Cincinnati. You know, 9054 flashes the score. It just shows immense highlights of just absolutely being curb stomped. It, it goes into the Sunday, March 14th, AAC championship, right? So much enthusiasm, optimism, and it ends with a, with a score of 91-54, just a dejected John Brandon storming off the court, right? This is a game of redemption. This is a game that, you know, we're only favored to lose by six. But alas, <laughs> we did not lose by 30-something. We lost by 22 the the redemption story never happened however i did not see a single tweet instagram post facebook post and i'm very proud of our cincinnati bearcat basketball fan base for not one single person not one throwing out there a we should fire west miller tweet i love you guys let's keep the good vibes rolling 
that's all I got to say about the Houston game. I got nothing more to say about no, it. I'm, I, I'm you're actually, on. you're doing a better job hosting this in the correct order of operations. Um, we're not going to spend a lot of time discussing the East Carolina game. It's there's, it's been so long. And, and I don't even know that we necessarily need to linger on specific games necessarily, but I do, I do think we should elaborate a little bit more on that Houston experience because I was, I was fortunate enough to be invited to that game uh, by the lovely Joe Barnett, the councilman. I went to the game with the councilman. It's Joe's fault. We didn't record. It's, it's all Joe's fault. <laughs> we could just blame Joe. We could say, you know, Zach went to the game, uh, had quite a few beverages with the guy. All right. And we, we unfortunately missed the, the 10 minute cutoff. And so we could have taken it even further, but um, that game from the, there was, a, there was a nice buzz in the crowd before the game. It wasn't full, the lower bowl, uh, you know, the, the attendance was a bit, a bit disappointing in the lower bowl, but all in all, the upper section was pretty full. You could tell the arena was pretty pumped to have this, you know, number six Houston team coming into town, a chance for Wes Miller to put his stamp on this season. And frankly, if the Bearcats are going to, or we're going to go on this magical at-large run into the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to start winning some games that we didn't necessarily expect them to win because we've lost games that we weren't supposed to lose. And from the moment the ball tipped off in that game, the air was completely sucked out of the arena. Within three seconds of the ball getting tipped, uh, or three seconds of tip-off, Houston's running down the court for a wide-open dunk. And before you know it, you look up, you know, me and, me and Joe have just put down our maybe first Coors Light, and, and the score of the game is 20-3. to three. And it's at that moment. It wasn't actually at 23. I think it was at 22-5, to five, uh, or maybe 20-5. to five. Bearcats turn it over on an inbounds. Houston again goes straight down the court, layup. Wes Miller stormed on the court and raged in a way at the team that I haven't seen him do this entire season. He, he, he was fuming at Odio Guama, Victor Locken, uh, basically anybody who was on the court or with an earshot. He was letting them know how unbelievably disappointing this start was to this game. Bearcats fell into, as I mentioned before, a 20 to three deficit in a game that we're not going to talk in must win terms, but it's a chance for them to kind of light a fire to ignite the season and finish the home stretch strongly. And they, they came out flat, weren't defending Houston's knocking down open jumpers and the offense looked completely inept. I actually was happy in that moment to see Wes Miller have that reaction because he's been, he's taken such a, a clear and defined, I'm going to be the nice guy approach this season. He's very much a player's coach. Uh, he's, he's a pretty young guy overall. He's probably just turned 39, 40 years old. Um, and he's, he's intentionally been much more tactful about the mental health and overall health of the players because he's following up an absolute maniac. And so you have to do that to an extent. But you know what? In college basketball, you also have to be a bit of a hard ass at times. And it was the first time this year that I really saw West lay into the team during a stretch of basketball that was incredibly disappointing. So despite getting absolutely demolished on the court, I thought that was actually promising to see that this was affecting him and that he was getting, you know, revved up by this and, and saw a reason to really kind of tear into the guys when the play wasn't up to up to par. 
like I said, I'd already spoken my piece on this game. Um, You're not going to say anything. I mean, we. I mean, look. At the end of the day, I'm sitting here. I'm I'm going out for my birthday. I'm super pumped. We get a bar in New York City to turn on. Not only turn it on, they turn the sound on. We have to listen to this monstrosity. And before they even get it on, you know, we have it on on our phone. And I look over at Cam and I'm like, actually, I don't know if we want to watch this anymore. <laughs> it's three. It's three to like eighteen. It's three to nineteen. It's like it's clear this isn't going to go. What I do got to say is like, at the end of the first half. They did make up for a quick moment that you thought this game was going to be competitive. You know, they, I think they got down to within, within 11, you know, sometimes on these games, when they look at it, it can be blowouts. You kind of have that mentality. All right, well, let's just get us to a manageable, you know, a manageable deficit. Uh, but man, they just, they just came out flat, but it's, it's been a result that of something we've seen for the past, you know, tonight was almost, almost to turn out to be the same thing, a lack of offense a lack of, of good shot selection of lack of ball movement of lack of, you know, whatever you want to call it. I'm seeing Jeremiah Davenport jack up, not only contested threes, but contested threes where he's not even square to the basket where he's completely off balance. He's leaning forward off one foot. Yeah. Throwing up these prayers of shots. And you're looking at the temple game. We, we, we threw up 58 points, East Carolina. We threw up 60 points, Houston. We threw up 58 points tonight. It wasn't look. I was surprised when we at the end of the game when we looked up and we we saw we had scored seven. seven. Four of those came off some some you know I don't know why when you're down ten you're you're fouling with with a, with under a minute left but whatever they do it you know so there's just been this lack of offense on this offensive explosiveness on on this team the last four games so if anything the Houston game just continued that that struggle but at the same time you kind of expect that if this team's already bad on offense against a really good Houston team. So, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I don't really have too much to add about that, that Houston game, just because overall it was just a, a poor performance. Well, I think the interesting thing about the Houston game is the conversation it led to. Um, there's a few directions we could take it. You could talk about the crowd because there was a conversation about the home crowd and the, the idea that the people in the rich seats aren't showing up with consistency and what that's doing to our home court advantage, et cetera, et cetera. You can also talk about the fact that the Bearcats did rally in that game. The lead for Houston was 38, 19. You mentioned it. The Bearcats closing on a pretty impressive run and it's down to an 11 point Houston lead at halftime, which then goes down to eight after a Jeremiah three pointer early in the second half. And then at that point there was just nothing on offense. Um, the shot selection against South Florida for Jeremiah Davenport ended up being much better than it was against Houston. Against Houston, you, in my opinion, saw the worst the worst version of Jeremiah Davenport. It's a game where he goes 3 of 12 from the field, zero assists, nine points total, four fouls, couple turnovers. Jeremiah Davenport, unfortunately, is being thrust into a role on this team where he has to be the second-best offensive player. Um, and, and a bit of a, you know, kind of like a go-to guy and in his ideal world with the type of skill set he has and, and abilities as a player, he's someone who really should probably be your like fourth best player. He should be your fourth option on offense. He should be a guy who is, who is a spot up shooter on the perimeter, um, that you can stretch the floor with that you can, um, you know, that's going to knock down open threes after other players are creating shots for him. Cause he's not someone who's elite off the dribble. But because of the limitations on the rest of the roster, outside of David DeJulius, there are no other offensive options. And so you see him trying to carry a burden offensively 
that he's he's really not up to carrying, you know. And and I think I was kind of joking about it with with Joe, and I was I think I mentioned it to you, but it should give us a bit of an appreciation for for guys like Keith Williams. You know, Keith Williams was frustrating last season. People thought that Keith Williams was was not living up to to the expectation of a senior Bearcat guard or wing and and not being, you know, the epitome, you know, the prototypical. We'd love to have him right now. (laughs) We would love to have Keith Williams right now. We are desperate for a guy like Keith Williams on this roster to just provide some level of relief to David DeJulius so that he doesn't have to carry the entire burden. Um, that that's kind of the thing with Jeremiah Davenport. He's been very frustrating to watch because everything relies on making difficult shots. It's, it's settling for contested three point shots and rarely looking for an open shooter. He is rarely trying to create for someone else when he does. It stands out. He did it in South Florida. He doesn't usually though. He's averaging under one assist a game. Well, I think this is when you were having that conversation about like Jeremiah Davenport being the the fourth best player, you would actually mention something I thought was interesting is that when you look at our one, two punch of that, we're, we're looking at here of the Julius and Davenport in the perfect world, you know, even, even the Julius isn't your number one player on the team. He's your, he's your third option. I think is what, what you kind of had mentioned. And, you know, I think there, there could be some truth to that. What I'm going to say about, the, the roster that's currently constructed and looking at the results that we have seen in the games that we're seeing these guys scrap together. I'm actually impressed with, with where we're at, um, that we, we do have a solid record that, you know, we're on pace to, to potentially pull out 20 wins this season with before we even get to the conference tournament. I mean, it is a possibility we can get there. And, um, you know, I, I think with this record, I think that's actually pretty good because frankly, this team just isn't, it's not a well-rounded squad. It has gaping, gaping holes at times. You know, the defense started off elite, and even then, I, I you know, at times the it just seems we get a little lazy. Uh, it's almost like we're seeing the leftovers of a culture from last season coming through on this current squad, where there just seems to be a lack of enthusiasm for what they're trying to accomplish on the court. I don't know if I agree with that entirely. I don't, I don't really get the sense that there's like this pervasive laziness on the team. Uh, I think that there's an inconsistency. There's an inability to string together productive games. You know, when you see a, a stretch like against East Carolina, Wichita State, and Tulsa, where they're, they're scoring 79, 61, and 90, and then you're following that up with a 61-point performance at Temple, a 60-point performance at East Carolina, and then getting blown out versus Houston. I mean, it's just, it's not a team that has figured out how to string together winning basketball. And I'm, it's led to an interesting conversation, you know, in the, in the Bearcat lexicon of like, how good is the talent? And that, you know, people saying this is a Mac, a a roster full of Mac level players and they're not good enough to win games and so on and so forth. Look, all of that to me is, is absolute bullshit we're playing in the american athletic conference we're playing against the likes of tulsa temple east carolina south florida we're playing in a conference where our our talent is easily good enough to win a lot of games in this conference and win more games than we lose and you know i'm ready to i'm writing off the idea that this team can play its way into a an at-large bid the inconsistency is why they can't do that the fact that we're blowing close games down the stretch to you know, Temple, 
these devastating losses against Temple, Tulane, Memphis. Um, when you're losing games like that, you're you're kind of you're you're playing your way out of that at large conversation. I guess what I'm frustrated by is that we have seen flashes of this talent being able to string together incredibly impressive defensive performances. We have seen flashes of this team being able to have stretches where they're knocking down shots. We've beaten Illinois, an incredibly impressive team, by 20 points. We went toe-to-toe with Arkansas. I, I th- that's peaking I right about, now in the SEC. Why I aren't we better that. right now? I thought about that game against Illinois, and I'm like, I'm chalking it up to maybe, you know, it's like it's the first game that, that Kofi's back, so it's like, oh, you know, maybe shaking off the rust. But when I'm saying, like, lazy, I don't mean like I'm seeing this, like, attitude in the players or, like, anybody's looking dejected or down. I'm looking at some of the stats, like, for instance, you know, Ken Palm's offensive rebounding percentage. We are one of the worst offenders in the NCAA at allowing teams to get offensive rebounds, right? We are like 228th right now in that, in that statistical category. We're, we're not that great of an offensive rebounding team. And those are the things that in my mind is, is effort rebounding with the size that we have, we should be doing a better job of it. And so when I see that stuff, it's like, Oh, it's just frustrating. Yeah, lazy, lazy is a pejorative term. Like it's a term where like, I mean, if, yeah, it's, it's if, a bad if term. You're not, if you're not, if you're not, if you're not at practice, if you're not like watching the actual work being put in, I'm, I'm hesitant to use that kind of word, frankly. Um, then, then take the word out and throw it, throw it you, in with something. You else. say we have, it's you say we have size. Lack though. of like, effort on, on the offensive rebounds, on the, on, on the, the defense, on the defensive boards is what you're saying. I'm, tell me, the, tell me about the size that we have. Tell me about the size. Tell me about the size. Like what? We're, Who's big? Where's the size coming from that you're telling me about? We're not, we don't want to t- sit there and talk about Adu. We don't want to sit there and talk about... Abdullah Adu. Abdullah Adu. Hayden Koval. Check. I mean... Who's Kobe. not a very good rebounder. Came in here, we knew that he was not a good rebounder, right? I know, but he's 7'1". You, sh- you okay, should be a better change. rebounder. It doesn't Odio change. Okay, check. I mean, those are the three guys that are almost always on the court from a size perspective. And I want to, I just want to see more. Jeremiah Davenport is not that tiny of an individual. Victor Lockin, 6'11. Here's that's the deceiving thing, though, Hummer. We think we're, this is a mistake I made early in the year. We thought we were bigger than we are because our, our front court, we do have a combination of two bigs in the game at a time. Three of those bigs, I would say two of those bigs are decent rebounders, Adu and Oguama. Koval is not a great rebounder. Lockin is, is not a great rebounder. And he's, he's too weak right now for the conference. Um, otherwise, all of our guards and our wings are small players. These are guys who really can't help and can't offer much assistance on the defensive glass. So while we came into the season thinking we're big, we've got this you know revamped front court that can, isn't going to be able to score the ball, but at least they have size. They're going to protect the paint and they're going to rebound. That just hasn't been true. We have done a good job protecting the paint. We remain one of the best teams in the country in terms of defensive effective field goal percentage. And, and our two-point defense is like third in the country. It is. Our paint defense is, is outstanding. We don't clean up the glass because we don't have elite rebounding talent on the front court, nor do we have size in the backcourt. That's how I'm looking at it. I don't look at it as effort, whatever. It's, to me it's a roster construction challenge. And I think that's been something that's hard to get over. Well, I still think that rebounding is, is one of those things too. We, I think we said this last year, it's, it's, you just do it. You just go out there and, and go chase after a ball. 
right? And I just oh, it should be better. See that. It should. It should. It be should better. be better. I'm just saying, and that's what I'm saying. I just don't think there should be an excuse for being a poor, poor rebounding squad. And when you look at the players that we have, a dual doe is the only one that actually measures on any any of the national lists for being, you know, a competent rebounder. I would say, uh, you know, his nationally ranked 89 and then 371, which is which isn't that good, but he is technically ranked. Um, on the offensive rebounder, he's one of he's one of the top 100 in the country. I mean, that's that's pretty that's actually pretty good, but no one else is even near that. Like it's, I don't know, it's just frustrating because that's something where I think we it's something we can control. That's something that you can control is rebounding, and we're not doing it. And that's something that can lead to easy points, easy buckets. We also know this team struggles in the half court, you know, and that's another way maybe to 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 continue scoring buckets in the half court is, is off second chance points. So that's, that's where I feel like we're, we're missing some opportunities to, you know, to put more points on the game to make some of these games, not these games that shouldn't be close, not as close as they are. And I think it's something that we're going to need further on down the road to close some of these games out. I mean, this, this last game's a good example. We out I think we out, we had, we out rebounded out rebounded uh, by 10. You know, that's, that's a healthy margin for out rebounding a team. And, Look, it led to some some good some good offense down the stretch. Yeah, the, this team for them to thrive offensively, they've got to force turnovers. They have to get on the offensive glass, and and that's really it. I mean, otherwise, it's basically give the ball to David DeJulius and get out of the way. Thank, thank seven. God, yeah, rebounded by seven. Sorry, thank God, David DeJulius <laughs> is on this team. He's been on an absolute heater right now. Um, the jump shots flowing. He gets a shot anytime he wants. Can get to the rim. Can knock down three pointers. The step back three pointer he's turned into a remarkable weapon. It's completely unguardable and he's knocking it down now with, with a level of consistency. So I honestly, I I'm, I'm scared to imagine this team without a guy like David DeJulius running point guard, because our offense is David DeJulius. And when he's not on the court or the ball's not in his hands offensively right now, we don't have options and we don't have options because, you know, Micah Adams woods, Jeremiah Davenport, Mike Saunders, Jr., um, and then obviously our bigs, these are not guys who create their own shot and they rely on someone else to get their shot for them. Wes Miller is not running an offensive system that in itself creates opportunities for players. There's not a system in place here. There's not a, this is not like this motion offense where the ball's pinging around. I would say largely the team is very slow with their decision-making. The ball doesn't move as quickly as it needs to. And that sometimes has to do with the type of players we have. You know, we have guys who David DeJulius is going to be very methodical. He's going to take a lot of dribbles. Jeremiah Davenport's not going to swing the ball most times. He's going to shoot it. Um, all of that adds up to an offense that doesn't isn't going to create something itself. And and the guys besides David DeJulius at this point, there's nobody else that's breaking down a defense, and it makes it really stagnant at times. And I think when I watched this USF game tonight, which was an 11 point victory. It moved us up to 16 and seven. I think there are some things rotation wise that have become more clear. And it, it's, I, I didn't think I'd be saying this early in the year. Hayden Koval has been quite valuable for the Bearcats. And I, I was, I was kind of, you know, dumping on his rebounding prowess earlier. His defensive rebounding has been solid. Like it's been better than advertised when he was coming here from Greensboro. When he's on the court, though, in place of Abdul Adu, 
he is stretching the floor and it's not like he's going to knock down a lot of shots. He's not going to be a go-to offensive option, but since we're not a great offensive rebounding team as it is, why not have a guy like Koval on the floor a little bit more so that we have a little bit more space and our guards like the Julius and Micah Adams woods and John Newman, the third, they have a little bit more space to operate. I think we're seeing good things and more productive offense when Koval is getting more minutes. And so I do think you'll see Wes Miller start distributing that, distributing those minutes a little bit more differently. Sorry, a little bit more in, in favor of Koval. That's something I would experiment with based on how much our offense is struggling right now. Well, currently the, obviously the most used lineup is the starting lineup. Second most used is, is the first, you know, substitution with Odie and the third most used is when we substitute in uh, Hayden Koval. I mean, it's obvious. I think you're right. It's on the radar. Oh, and then if you look at the last, last five games, Koval is in the second most used, used lineup now. Yeah. You were looking, you were looking at, I'm sorry. Most frequent frequent. lineups. Yeah. Yeah. Not the depth chart. Gotcha. Um, But either way, I think you're right. It's on the radar. Like it has to be because it's, it's noticeable. It gets pointed out by the announcers all the time. You bring him in. It opens up. It actually opens up the half court game a little bit because you're not as stuffy because you do have a guy like David Joyce who does like to drive the paint, right? You know, so it opens it up a little bit more because you do have to guard Koval because he, he can, not that he should be taking them all the time, but he is a threat when he has the ball and he's out beyond the arc. And, and Adu and Oguama just aren't threats at all at this point. Like, even when they're in the lane, they're both, not, they, you know, the hands, their ability to get it up on the rim, like, they're just not great finishers yet. And so when they're on the court, not usually together, but, you know, having one of them there, it's much more difficult for a guy like Mike Adams-Woods. It's much more difficult for a guy like David DeJulius. We're going to need to see more of that Koval option I'd love to say we also need to mix in Victor Lockin. It it seems very clear at this point that Victor Lockin is not in good graces with Wes Miller. He's kind of phased out of the lineup at this point, largely. I would say it, it it's not like I'm I'm not questioning it because Victor Lockin is a turnover at this point. He's he's very rapalous Ivanowskis in terms of what's happening offensively. Now the difference is he's not a senior; he's a freshman, and he's someone who is getting his first taste of college basketball this season i'm not right i'm not describing this or or putting him down in a way where i don't believe in victor lockin if i could you know you're just, you're up, being realistic about where he is realistic as a freshman right he's, a, he's a freshman he's not a sophomore he's not a junior and no his game he's his also game been injured he's been going in and out of some injuries this exactly. season so there's there's definitely upside there you can see it when he has these great flashes of of play the upside is there I think you're right. He's not in the good graces. And I think a lot of it has to do with being in and out of injuries and just being, being young. Yeah. He's got a 25% turnover rate right now. (laughs) It's a tie. That's good, right? You want to turn it over 25% (laughs) of the time you get it. It's pretty rough. Um, Yeah. I, I, you know, I guess it's just a hard team to talk about. Would you, would you rather, would you rather Victor Locken dribble the ball from half court to the basket or Chris McNeil shoot a free throw. Say, give me my options again. <laughs> I'll just jump off the cliff. <laughs> 10 seconds left in the game. You either have Koval or McNeil taking the ball from half court on a one-on-one ISO, but it ends with <laughs> McNeil taking a foul shot. 
it's a stupid scenario. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm jumping. <laughs> we're jumping off. I would say, I, I mean, if we're going to make fun of the fact that we just took two weeks off unexpectedly, the, we were joking before the podcast that part of that is just because this team is very difficult to talk about. I, I kind of like at, at the end of the Houston game, we obviously had plenty of time to just kind of shoot the shit, Joe and I, and then right in front of Joe sits um, Aaron from the, from the Bearcat Journal podcast, that Bearcat Bounce podcast. Um, and so we just started talking, you know, just about this team and you start throwing hypotheticals out there and, and it's the strange thing about this team. We're in this, it's not a rebuilding year. Like, I guess that's what I'm kind of wrapping my head around. We're a team that's 16 and seven. We're assembled in a way we're, we're constructed in a way that's not meant to be rebuilding because it's not a team that is loaded with players who are going to be foundational pieces for the future. The, the primary pieces on this roster are guys like David DeJulius, who's could come back next year. I don't think he will. Jeremiah Davenport is in his junior season. He's got one year, I guess maybe two left. Um, Micah Adams Woods, another junior. Odio Guama, a, tr- a, a junior who transferred in here. John Newman III, a senior who transferred in here. And Abdul Adu and, and Koval are both graduate transfers. This team is constructed to act constructed to actually compete this season. So you lose they that ability. are competing in a sense, though. They're just not competing at the level of like a Houston. Right. Right. That's I well, mean, no, but, it's not even it's but it's not it's we're not in at large. Like we're not even really. We're not really even in the at large conversation. Yeah. I mean, you're you're competing in the sense that we're not the bottom barrel of the conference. We're obviously not the elite, you know, cream of the crop of the conference. But what did we what did we honestly expect when when we had the disaster that we had last year and all these faces that you bring in are new? And this is where that criticism you brought up. People saying, well, a lot of these players were were basically Sunbelt players. That by and large is you know not necessarily you know false, but I'm not gonna try to put down the the you know they're the not though. Themselves. Like I just a lot of the guys I just listed are guys who are recruited to UC or recruited to the ACC or recruited to the SEC. I'm not even trying to diminish what they're doing. They're 16 and seven. The record looks good. They're going to end up winning over 20 games. All of that is positive. I'm more talking about from an emotional standpoint, the struggle that this season has brought. Like it's this team doesn't have an NBA prospect on the roster right now. It doesn't have until recently. I would say David DeJulius is playing at an all conference level right now, but it doesn't have that like traditional all conference type player. It doesn't have, the, the NCAA tournament run hopes. I'm just saying there's, it, and then it doesn't have like the young core that you're saying, you know what? I could totally see these guys dominating in a year or two. So Jared, that Hensley, Jared Hensley has not made you forget about Tari Eason. No, he has not made me forget about Tari Eason. Okay. I just want to make that. I'm going to make the note that down. He has not made you forget about Tari Eason. <laughs> Got it. No. And, and that's the thing. Like you, you lose a guy like Tari and, and what, what he allowed you to do is sort of have those visions of grandeur for what it might mean in the future. And right now there are still some young players who could develop, but the development has been slow and, and it's harder. It's becoming harder and harder to envision guys like Mike Saunders, Mason Madsen, 
um, Jared Hensley, like you don't really view them as the guys who are going to be your key contributors to like conference championship winning teams. That's not what I see. I think next year we have a couple guys coming in in skillings and Reed who are those types of foundational talents that could be the player to develop into a conference championship team, a team that could make a tournament run. So next year does it, it, it forecasts to be more of a rebuilding year. And it's easier to put my mind in that mode of like, Hey, this is the year where we're developing young talent. Whereas this year, I, I feel like we're in, we're in the, uh, in limbo. Like this doesn't feel like transition. It doesn't feel like rebuilding. It feels like a, a, a year of limbo where we're just kind of getting by racking up some wins and then we'll go on. And this team will largely kind of be, you know, more or less kind of anonymous in terms of like long-term legacies at UC. Uh, you're, I don't, I hate saying this like this because you're not wrong. Um, but what, what I think we're, we're missing here though, is that this 110% is a stopgap year. This is a, you're looking at a team that was a coach Perfect that started turn. April 14th, right? We, he has no, he had zero time to actually recruit players to the university of Cincinnati. He was all intensive purposes being a UNC Greensboro's head coach. And so the players that he got were the guys that were coming to him from to UNC Greensboro, which is, which is great. They're fine, but you're right. The players that we have on here, you're looking at for next season, even with skillings, even with Reed, I think next year is going to be actually more challenging than this year. And because if we don't have a guy like David, the Julius to pull it all together, who is the young, young guy on this team currently? Who is it? Is it going to be Mike Saunders Jr.? Is it going to be Micah Adams Woods? Is it going to be Jeremiah? Is it going to be one of these players that's able to take over that role of being the leader or Skillings and Reed? Do they have the skill sets to immediately make an impact as freshmen? That's what, and that's, that's the big question mark. We don't know how their game is actually going to transition to the college level. And if it does great, but it could be a year. It could, next year could be a, a rough year too, but the following year, when you get those young guys in those two guys, they get to develop, they get into the monster factory. And so I'm, that's I'm a lot honestly, different though. Think about, think about what you're saying. Those two guys are top hundred, top 150 level talent for their, for their recruiting class. Mm-hmm. They are guys that when they come in, I understand next season in all likelihood, unless those guys come in and are just, they blow us out of the water in terms of what freshmen normally do right now, this team would, would forecast to be, we're going to be worse next year in terms of wins and losses. This team will win less because we'll probably lose David to Julius. We're going to lose our two most productive bigs right now in, in Hayden Koval and, and Abdullah do like, I know people are frustrated in terms of what they can't do. They are doing a hell of a lot in terms of rim protection. And we get doing say, a lot in terms of our defense. Next year's class too, right? Sage is in next year's class, but look, seven but foot, fr- seven foot freshman, seven foot freshman rarely contribute, rarely contribute in that way. That's a project. Yeah. So, so I, I, I'm just I, saying like, it's easier for my brain about the team where we're at. We're just being honest. No, I, I know. I'm actually just working through my feelings on everything right now. This is not meant to be some sort of like sweeping indictment of everything. It's trying to put my feelings into perspective on this roster. Um, next year feels like a clear rebuilding year. And it's easy to understand that and contextualize that in my brain this year. You described it as stopgap. I described it as limbo. I think stopgap is perfect. It's sort of a, 
it's it's a it's a bunch of band-aids. We're filling in holes. West Miller's putting his fingers in John Brandon holes. ran this ship right into the middle of a freaking iceberg tore a giant hole in the side of the ship. Water's pouring on. All the players are literally looking for a lifeboat. They're jumping off the sides. And West Miller says, guys, 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 I got this. All right. He went out. He he listened to that that TV commercial. The uh you know, the, the, as seen on TV, he took some of that black tape, slapped it on the side of the ship and said, look, the water stopped rushing in. Let's go play some hoops. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, and we've kind of worked our way through it. And I'm already at the point where it's like, you know what, though, we're still 16 and seven. Like, I feel like we're talking about this team as though we're 500 or worse. And yet here we are 16 and seven, a few wins away from 20 wins. And, and you just never know. So, I guess all in all, I don't really know how to put a bow on what we're talking about exactly. I just know that it's I know a, how to do it. It's a frustrating team to, to watch. It's a frustrating team to watch, but I'm happy that they're competing and I'm happy that they are doing some winning. Here's how we put the bow on this. All right, you ready? Kempom has us projected at 20 and 11. By all means, a great record, especially I think with the as we've been talking through the Hang roster on. construction. Let's please. That's, that's not a, oh, that's no. not a great record. It's not a great record. For the, for this team, I'm I'm happy with it. That would it be a please have higher standards for yourself. I don't have program. higher standards for this team. No, for the, the program, for the program yeah, the let's program not call is it different. Great. The let's program is it. different. This team is different. Losses but, to Monmouth Temple, Tulane is not great. Right. Well, we got we got Tulsa coming up. All right. Scratch Dub. the W in. All right. Dub. Scratch that into the template. We can use permanent marker right now. All right. That's guaranteed. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go bet that one right now. Memphis, we get them at home February, Tuesday, February 15th. We're all going to be coming off our Super Bowl victory hangover that's going to last two days. So we're all, we're all going to be hungover for this game in, in, in fifth third inning. At least you guys will. We're going to get the W at Memphis. We're actually projected to get the W right now. Well, it's so going to go It's going to be home. It's a home I'm game. Scratching, I'm scratching that in, right? I'm actually putting that W down permanent marker as well. All Wichita right. State, mm, give 18, it to me all day eight, long. 18 and seven, home game against Wichita State. That takes us to 19 and seven. Temple. We're going to avenge okay. Temple. That's 27. All right. Five game win streak. Here we go. All right. UCF. At UCF or is that a home game? That is at UCF. That's an L. That's an L. We're projected for the L. That'll Fine. be Fine. Yep. South Florida. They're coming to our place. Once it, takes us, the w. it takes us to 20 and eight. South Florida at home. That takes us to 21 and eight. Houston, I'm going to scratch the loss in. We're not going to go win down in Houston. We're not winning at Houston. And I'm not going to, I'm just, you look, I hate to say 20, this. 21 you and can nine. Put that, you can put that L in permanent marker. But SMU, we own SMU. Moody Coliseum is, we own, we own real estate in Moody Coliseum. We own more of that stadium than we own Coke Arena. All right. We haven't lost to SMU in I don't know how many years. It's not going to happen on Thursday, March 3rd. Put that in there. That is 21 and 11 for the regular season, right? At that point, we're playing some of the best basketball we've played all season. We're gearing up for an AAC tournament where we're going to go and win at least our first two games. We're going to end up in the finals of that tournament playing Houston. And that is where that L is not written in stone. That is where upsets happen, baby, in March. That is how we punch our ticket to the NCAA tournament by winning the freaking tournament. That's how I'm wrapping a bow on this. And that is program expectations. That is program expectations. 22 and nine going into the conference tournament, win two games. 
and and you're telling me there's a chance. Hummer, I'm telling you there's a chance. That's what's crazy, though. That's what's crazy is that this team is still in position to end up with a really, really good record this year. It is a testament to to David DeJulius. It is a testament to the interior defense of the roster, Koval, Adu. And it is a testament to, to timely shot-making from Jeremiah Davenport, from Mason Madsen tonight against USF, and from Shuey being solid. So uh, I'm happy you did that, Hummer. I, it's amazing what, how bad the American Athletic Conference is this season. There's still a path to 22 regular season wins that is not unrealistic. And uh, maybe I was a bit hard on the guys. I don't know. I'm not trying to be hard on everybody. I'm trying to wrap my head around why it feels like such a slog right now watching these games. It's a, it's a, it's a painstaking ordeal at this point. I think, the, I think the pain comes from this, all right? When, we, when we're used to seeing Cincinnati basketball squads who are just god-awful on offense, we know that we were elite on the defensive end. And this team is just shy of elite. They're good, but they're not elite. And I think that's where the frustration comes in is because we're, that's, that is what we're used to seeing. If the team isn't going to score buckets, neither is the other team. We're going to see rock fights, but we're, we're not necessarily seeing that. So I, I think that's where the frustration, at least for me, it's where it's coming from. Uh, and how but, different do we feel, though, and how different do I feel if, if the game against Temple doesn't go the way it did, where the ref allows us to call a timeout, the officiating is not as atrocious, the team doesn't go completely cold from the field, so all of a sudden you're not you're not sixteen and seven, you're seventeen and six. Or what if we didn't blow that Monmouth game earlier, which was a you're complete... feeling really good, actually, if we didn't lose the temple. Yeah. You're feeling not only are you feeling good, you're actually sitting here singing, like, you know what? There's an actual at large opportunity yes. here because you just you just you just run off five wins in a row. You lost a really good Houston team. It didn't hurt you in the net rankings, we're, right? We're a and close then you run loss off another at... five in a row. We're a close loss at home to Monmouth and a and a horrible road loss at Temple from being 18 and five. That's how close this all is. Every single game is going to feel the way the South Florida game felt. I want people to know this. Every single game is going to be a slog. Every single game is going to be a, a we're going to have we to covered. We covered that, by the way. We covered this game. <laughs> So I don't know what you're talking about slog. We covered and we had it covered before David DeJulius got his four free points at the end of the game. But what's amazing is every game is going to feel that way. So unless you're playing a Houston that that's apparently just a horrible matchup for us, every other game, there's no reason we're not going to be in it. And we can't win it. And so because of that, it's impossible to write off the season. And so anybody out there, I saw the poll. I've heard the rumors. I've heard the comparisons. People are starting to compare this team to Mick Cronin's first team and which team. Oh. Get out of here. Get out of here with that. This team is far better than Mick Cronin's first team. This team has far more talent than that first team. This team is better. This team is going to win over 20 games. Stop with the comparisons. What did Mick's first year do? (laughs) What was his first year? Six? 11 11 and 18, I believe. 11 11 and 19. 11 and 19. (laughs) In the Big East. Now, that was in the Big East. Much better competition, but still. Much better competition, but we were taking L's to the likes of Rutgers, South Florida, uh, St. John's, UAB, Wofford, Wofford, is it all Wofford, Wofford, in a 91-90 affair. Um, 
no, come on guys. Like Deontay Vaughn was, was the centerpiece of, of that squad and not going to, not going to knock on it. Ron Allen, our good friend was also on that squad and, and the legend Connor Barwin, you know, getting recognition on Twitter for being a professional athlete who played two sports at a high level. The other one being, uh, you know, football, you know, just pretty good at football. I heard Heard is pretty good. Heard is okay. Solid. Uh, this is come on 11 and 19. Get, get out of here. Well, let's leave it there. We've, we've talked about this at length. I hope people were able to, to grasp that this is not meant to just be a sweeping indictment. The players are doing a lot of winning. There's just, it's just, it's just a fun, it's a funky year. And that's all we're trying to wrap our heads around. I did want to ask you a bit if you got a chance to see the the conversations and the the reports coming out of the Senior Bowl festivities. Des Ritter, Kobe Bryant, Jerome Ford, Alec Pierce, my Jay Sanders. Did I miss anybody? I think I got everybody. Beavers, Darian Beavers as well. Lots of buzz about the Bearcats coming out of the Senior Bowl. We don't have to talk about it at length, but things are looking up for the old Cincinnati Bearcats football team when it comes to the draft prospects, this upcoming 2022 NFL draft. Well, I, for one, am very upset that Sauce Gardner keeps moving up to the boards. Now he's like number five on some people's boards. And the only reason I'm upset, I'm actually happy for Sauce Gardner. I'm very happy for him. That is a tremendous accomplishment. I'm unhappy about it because that means when the Bengals have the last pick in the draft, because we are going to win the Super Bowl, uh, we're not getting Sauce Gardner. We're not going to get applesauce. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I was really looking forward to that. And um, how do you feel about if Des Ritter gets drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers? I got a confession to make. I, I can't stand that franchise. I can't stand the Pittsburgh Steelers. Is that a hot take? It's, I don't even think I don't think it's hot at all. I think they're impossible to root for, impossible to have sympathy for. I would not be mad to see Des go to the Pittsburgh Steelers because I love Des Ritter. I care about him. And despite the fact that I can't stand the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have a very strong infrastructure. They have great ownership. They have a great coach. They have great talent around the quarterback position. If Des Ritter ended up a Pittsburgh Steeler, that's about the best possible scenario he could end up in, in terms of opportunities to succeed. They draft wide receiver well. They coach well. I'm just saying, if we care about him as a, as a prospect, as a human, as someone we want to see succeed in the NFL, that is a good landing spot for Des Ritter. Am I wrong? I mean, yeah, no, you're, you're, you're way off base. I'd ha I couldn't reform. I went. I couldn't root I mean, for. I couldn't root for the I organization. Could, I could root for him I individually. For him. Yeah, it would just be hard. It's like all of a sudden, it's like you know what? I know he doesn't have control over that, so it's not his fault, you know, that he would be a Pittsburgh Steeler. But come on, man. You know what though? Maybe we get. Maybe we get lucky. Maybe Arizona has an opening this year because I hear Kyler Murray has scrubbed all Arizona Cardinals from every single ounce of social media that he has. So maybe maybe Des Ritter ends up in Arizona instead, and we don't have to have this. Uh, Des, I'm sorry, forgotten brother. I, you know I love you, but I hate you. I don't want I don't want Des anywhere near the shit show that is Cliff Kingsbury. No, thank you. I'm keep, in on keep, it. Keep Des away from him. Let me ask you this, Summer. Let, let's have a conversation. 
Des Ritter. Is, I will be happy. I'll be happy if he goes to Pittsburgh. All right. If he goes there, like you said, I agree with all the things you I said. Mean, but I don't want to say it'll be, be hard. It'll be I tough. wouldn't be. I wouldn't be happy if he went to Pittsburgh. That's I mean, not what I'm well. saying. I'm not saying I'd be happy. I'm saying, I'm saying probably the best home for him. Objectively, that's a pretty good opportunity for Des Ritter. Right? It'd be a good home for him. Yeah. You don't want to be like you don't want to be on like Trevor Lawrence, where he ends up in like Jacksonville purgatory. He would instantly be the third best quarterback in the AFC North. <laughs> Can't All get right, much fair. worse than Baker Mayfield. <laughs> what do you think about Des Ritter's pro prospects? What do you think about what we're hearing? Because there's there's a lot of good stuff coming out of the Senior Bowl week about what Des Ritter is bringing to the table. Obviously, from an intangible standpoint, everything comes up aces. Um, when you look at his size, his his ability, did you notice that in the Senior Bowl, he threw two touchdowns? Did you see how those touchdowns came? I saw one of them, I believe. They they both came on the same type of play. They both came on on getting Des out of the pocket and throwing downfield. He was out so, of the pocket, on the run, on the move, something we did not see at all against Alabama in the in the Cotton Bowl. Thank summer. you. Frustrating. Oh, that that was that's what's frustrating is you saw that happen and you're like, hmm, Des Ritter is good when he's outside the pocket. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that that could have been a good strategy is to immediately roll Des out of the pocket if it's going to collapse on him? Couldn't imagine who couldn't, couldn't have thought of that, Tim Brock. <laughs> Frick that guy. No, so, I mean, how I, are you I think feeling Des, about Des? What, do you, what are you thinking about Des? What's your, what's your projection for him? How long of a career? What type of role? What do you see? You're going to, I'm going to get blasted for this. Uh, so I hope he proves me wrong. I really do. Like it's it's not personal. It's nothing against Des. I just don't see Desmond Ritter being a prolific, long careered NFL quarterback. I don't think he has the accuracy that's required to be a Hang middle on. of the pack to better. I'm not going to make you do this. I don't want you. To, I don't want you having to do this to your reputation. No, no, no. In the I'm fine. Community. I'm fine doing this. I'm fine doing this. Look, at the end of the day, he was a phenomenal. It's not. This does not take away from what he did here at the university of Cincinnati, none of this takes away his accomplishments of what he did in college, right? That this is a whole nother level of football. He's going to be playing. We saw how he he's racked up against some of the, the tougher defenses. We saw how it was against Georgia, right? When you're playing like basically what is as close to in college as you're going to get to an NFL defense wasn't exactly stellar. Right. And when you get to the NFL, I think he's going to have, I think he's going to have trouble. Like when I look at a guy like him, now I'm going to compare him to obviously someone who's doing fantastic right now that we watch a lot, but Joe Burrow makes some of these insane passes that are basically skipping over the helmet of a defender to fall into his receivers laps. Like he just doesn't have that kind of accuracy. And I'm, I'm curious if, if he's in the NFL, if he's in the career, I just don't see him being a guy who's going to be, you know, like maybe an Andy Dalton. Maybe the, I feel like that's maybe his his like ceiling is going to be like an Andy Dalton in terms of like you can be serviceable, you can be good, but I don't think he's ever going to be that great unless he gets unless he unless he just I don't know unless dude, he gets some good work and coaching and he's able to to fix the accuracy issues. Dude, Andy Dalton would be a really good outcome for Des Ritter. That's what I say honestly. That's, that's a, I say that's a ceiling. That's a really good career, and I I agree to an extent. Like here's. No one's really projecting Des to go into the NFL and become 
one of the top five, six, seven quarterbacks in the NFL. That's not really Des Ritter's path or and, and what his future would would hold. I do think the more that we're seeing these professional scouts and analysts spend time breaking him down, I, I am excited by by how positive the feedback's been. Now, the rough part and the thing that I I can't really get over is that his accuracy is still the thing that is everybody's sticking point. Can he solve his accuracy issues? Recently, there's examples like Josh Allen in Buffalo, um, and he's kind of like the the shining bright example of a guy whose whose accuracy issues were somehow solved completely. But there are there are signs that the coaching has improved to actually know how to fix that. And if you can, if Des Ritter manages to somehow fix his accuracy and improve it and kind of fine tune it so that easy can't miss throws are no longer missed. It seems like he's got a path to being a really, really strong quarterback. The arm strength is being raved about his ability to be mobile in the pockets raved about. He's got great size, great leadership, great intangibles, all of it's there. And so he has this one piece of the puzzle to solve that historically has been tough to solve. If you're a quarterback, usually people don't get more accurate, but if he does, it's not difficult to see him being a, an Andy Dalton or, you know, a Dak Prescott, where if you surround him with the right situation, with a strong defense and good talent around him, he could do some winning in the NFL. That's kind of where I'm falling on him. Now, I also want to be clear, but if I just for some reason I would get roasted, I don't mean to compare his game to Andy Dalton's. I'm talking about the career of Andy Dalton, you know, like top you know, Andy well, Dalton. The Andy Dalton was a good comparison, I thought, because well, it's I'm not, not, it's not, like, he's not, not he's, he dominating a, arm strength, not not but like, I, I see Dak I, or I but I what I'm saying is I see Ritter using his legs more if he's going to be successful he's going to be He's not out that of shifty though. Like he's not that shifty. But he but he should be. He should have been more. He's not I feel like that's like, I feel like that's not, one of the way that's I feel not like that shifty. I feel like that's one of the re- ways that we didn't utilize his legs enough in some of these these matchups with Denbrock. I feel like we we forced him into being a pocket passer which is good. But it's also bad when you have a guy like Des who's able to take off and get 10, 15 yards in four steps, right? Like yeah, he, but he had that ability to be able to do that. You didn't take advantage of it enough. And he's not going to be an elite athlete in the NFL. Like he's not, he's not an elite athlete. He's not, he's not a Josh Allen. He's probably, is he probably about the same speed as Joe Burrow? Little, little faster, maybe straight line speed, a little faster. Uh, I, I was like I said, I was looking at Joe Burrow's running numbers because I was going through the prop bets, and um, all I'm learning is don't bet on Joe Burrow running the football. Okay, that's that's not a bet you want to take. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll get there. Otherwise, I will say it, it was great to see Kobe Bryant got a lot of great feedback. Um, Beavers, great feedback. It just seems I, I'm not usually like this this avid watcher of the NFL draft. This year, it's going to be different with so many guys in in play to be drafted in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth rounds. Got to, it's going to be must watch TV. Maybe we'll hit up a live stream, get Joe, get the councilman on the line, have some fun, drink some beverages, um, have a good time. Seeing a mod Gardner uh, PFF being projected to the Denver Broncos at number nine. Uh, I think it was the NFL.com's uh, mock drafting goes high as number five. He's currently Unless there might be other ones out there, but of these of those two, I think he's the only one projected from the Bearcats in the first round. Uh, but 
look, at the end of the day, we're going to have some drafts guys from this guy. We're going to have some guys be successful. Sauce Gardner is a generational talent. Uh, he's going to go to the NFL and he's going to support, he's going to, he's going to take over the title from Jim Jalen Ramsey as the, as the best cornerback. I have thoroughly football. enjoyed watching everybody catch up on the, how good is sauce Gardner um, competition. I, I, you know, it's, it's like they weren't watching him. They, they saw the numbers, they saw the hype and they kind of dismissed it and said, ah, whatever they you know, we're going to we're riding with Stingley sauce. will go in the, in the late twenties. <laughs> And then as soon as the season ends and they start watching tape, they're like, whoa, wait, what? He's long and fast and physical and never gave up a touchdown and smart and always reads the play correctly. Oh, he's the best cornerback in the draft. Oh, and guarded a guy who had four touchdown passes in the uh, AFC, one of the AFC divisional rounds. I mean, no big deal. <laughs> NBD, NBD. Good, good for good for the Bearcats. It, it's Ooh, good to see our tentacles spreading CBS, across the NFL. CBS first round pick number twenty, Desmond Ritter. To whom? The Pittsburgh Steelers. It's gonna happen. It's definitely gonna happen. Look, you know what? I'll give the guy if I'm in. If I happen to be in the city of Cincinnati when Des Ritter makes his like you know uh, his rookie season, he's making a start with the Steelers. I will give him one round of applause when they announce his name over the PA system as like, you know, for the Lions, whatever. After that, all booze. Love you. Love you. But you're a stealer now. (laughs) There's a big love. Until until you come back to Nipper. Once you're back in the, in the, in the friendly confines of Nipper stadium, you're a Bearcat then again. But once you step out, you're, you're, you're a stealer again. I'm rooting for the Indianapolis Colts for the record. That's my, that's my ideal destination for Des Ritter is the Indianapolis Colts cutting bait with Carson Wentz, that abject disaster and, and <laughs> Dude, accepting Des into their, into their, into their, they're, uh, not, they're not giving program. up on him. I can tell you why, because Carson Wentz is just like, Oh, but he was supposed to be so good. He's going to be so good. God, uh, he's it. terrible. Like at this he's, point, they oh, should he's know he's awful. terrible, but they have a great offensive line. Um, wide receiver room could use some work, but great offensive line, great defense. That would be a pretty solid option for Desreter. Is anybody seeing that the Eagles, like four years removed from the Super Bowl, have three picks in the top 20? <laughs> Look at you. Can't quit the Philadelphia. Anything else we want to talk about, Hummer, before we shut this down? Oh, absolutely. What is this uh, guy's name? Uh, he's getting all upset. The The... The X media is getting upset that the current Cincinnati media is having fun at the Super Bowl, rooting for their local Bengals instead of being boring, plain faced, white wear, white T-shirt wearing, you know, just just khakis and white polos with with non logoed hats and a clipboard, uh, you know, pre- members of the press. Come on, man. Let Come me, on. Let me provide some background. You're not. Pro- <laughs> this story it's fascinates it. me. This story fascinates me. So Chris Wetterich, I hope I'm saying his name right, at Chris Cincy Biz on Twitter says, LOL, Cincy Media tracking the Bengals arrival at LAX like they're the president. Mark Kernett at Mark Kernett on Twitter responds and says, and shamelessly cheering their every move. Ryan Pence, who you know, I would describe as, as a good troublemaker on Twitter. He always finds a way to just chime in in ways that gets things to kind of just, he, he ignites situations pretty well. Uh, he, he chimes in and says, how miserable are the two of you? 
Mark Kernett responds and gets ratioed like like no local beat reporter has been ratioed before and says maybe since Paul Doherty, actually, when he when he was the reporter who, who was questioning Naomi Osaka. I've been blocked by him. This guy blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Kernett responds and says, no, we're journalists, impartial and fair. You don't wear team gear and use pronouns such as we and us openly cheer root when you're in the media journalism 101 what's happening in LA is embarrassingly unprofessional behavior behavior the staff of a high school newspaper know how to avoid and from there he just gets absolutely destroyed uh, and attacked online and and I'm curious about this Humber. people have passionate opinions that that he's wrong I don't think it's what, what's so controversial about him saying like hey we want objectivity in journalism I thought we did this is sports. This isn't freaking politics. These are local beat writers who probably lived in most of them. A lot of these guys have lived in Cincinnati either their whole lives or the last 15, 20 years. And you've had this team who've just been the laughing stock of the NFL from whether it's the lost decade of the 90s or you come into the 2000s and going to five straight playoff and losing in the first round and you make it to a Super Bowl with essentially I'm going to, I'm not only not a rookie, but he was out for half a season, comes back off a, a, of a devastating uh, knee injury to lead the team to a Super Bowl. Like, let the, let them have fun. And frankly, look, the way I look at it is as a fan, I don't really want my local media going down there and just being like, you know, I want, I want them to have the same excitement as I do. Let, leave the people who need to be professional and non biased to ESPN and Fox Sports right now. That, that's fine for them. To have that objectivity, let my local media have some fun. Let them, let them be, let them do their job after the game starts. Now, when I say on. do their job, yeah, sorry, sorry. Well, I'm just, I, I'm a little bit confused what they're exactly talking about. I'd like to see the examples. If I could talk to to Mr. Cornett, I would want to know, hey, like, what are you referring to exactly? Show me some examples because he's, he here's here's an example. He says the media people from Cincinnati and LA who are wearing team gear. Orange rooting, saying who day as a cheer. They are embarrassing themselves and the city. And I guarantee the national media there are laughing their asses off at them. Look, let the national media laugh their <laughs> laugh their behinds off, right? I don't care. I, I'm happy that that they're down there. Look, if Mo Egger goes down in the Super Bowl, and I don't know if he is, he's been caught on or or Lance McAllister or whoever getting caught on blast for you know being too wealthy to 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 be able to get free tickets from Jim Orsay. You know, if they've happened to get a ticket into the game and and right and they want to report from down there or or cover the team, and they want to wear some bearcat gear and they want to cheer, do it. You've earned it. You've covered this crappy team for t- this this, this t- look, the franchise still is like it's I've heard this someone said this before. If you win a Super Bowl, you get like four or five years. You can't really criticize the team. And I think you, you might have pointed this out. And as I've been stewing on it, I agree. I'm, you can still criticize Mike Brown for being a terrible. Uh, that's, I, I think we're setting up for some pretty awkward but, situations here. But it, again, the another, Bengals another are in thing, the Super but, Bowl. Like there's not there's no reason to fret right now. They have a chance of doing the thing that we didn't think was possible. So what kind of critiquing do you want right now? The game hasn't started. What kind of critiquing do we want to dive into? How how bad do Look, we want to sit here and start talking bad about the Bengals when they just just beat the Kansas City Chiefs AFC playoffs? I'm I'm not a journalist. Do. You're not a journalist. We 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 have a podcast that's very biased and very we cheer for the Bearcats and we're not ashamed of it and we talk about it. It seems appropriate for us to wear Bearcats gear, celebrate the team, celebrate their successes because we come at it from a fan perspective. 
if you Mark are, a, by the way, that's the first time I've ever been blocked by someone. If you're a journalist, though, was is the whole the whole city of Cincinnati is laughing at him on a response to a tweet that someone said. That's all I said. I said it might be hard for him to hear up there, though, from his public ivy tower. Let's be the devil's advocate here, though. Let's be the devil's advocate. I know you're saying it's just sports, but when you say it's just sports, let's also know that it does tie into real life and that people like Mike Brown own the Bengals and and take tens of millions of taxpayer dollars. Actually, am I underestimating that? Is it hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars? Billions and billions of dollars. And they're taking that from the county and the city, and they're accepting this money. And the city's paying for this thing, the stadium. And then they simultaneously underinvest in their team and don't make the necessary you know, moves that would do you allow want a reporter, Do you want a reporter right now going down the down the I'm Super Bowl and being saying, like, Joe Burrow? No. Joe Burrow, I, do you think that it's fair that the Cincinnati Bengals are are fighting, that your organization, that Mike Brown is fighting for naming rights to the stadium? Uh, it, 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 do you think it's fair that Mike Brown is arguing that the, the banks should be built the fence on top of the bank shouldn't be that tall because it restricts the the height laid out in the agreement 20 years ago. Like, tell me about your thoughts on the, on the ownership's decision making here, Joe Burrow. No, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear him ask stupid, silly questions about what the frick he's wearing. Uh, you know, what do you, what, what's your, what do you think about your nicknames? And then once the game starts, like, all right, then start looking at the, the things that you want to ask for that, or maybe you're going behind the scenes and saying, all right, did they play bad? Did, did Joe Mixon know, go out how and do party you know, last night? How do you did- know those objective journalists are, are, are not then compromised? I shouldn't even say compromised. I'm trying to think of the right word to use. I'm just saying, like, these are the people who are supposed to be scrutinizing this franchise in because the future. Because we've heard them do it when it comes to the ownership group. It's not like this hasn't been a topic of conversation. Here's another question. You years. say you say you don't want this stuff brought up the week of the Super Bowl, right? You don't want to talk about any of the bad stuff. Isn't now actually the moment where you could get more attention on the shortcomings of Mike Brown than ever before? The whole, no. the whole media, the all, whole sports all, media. All sins are forgiven when you win the Super Bowl. No, they're not. Oh, that's so disappointing. They're not forgiven. They can't be. This I'm is the time I would argue. That, no, like why, why, why is that? Like you're, if you're doing that, then you're being a Debbie Downer, and you're no, sh- you're, you're trying shitting to- on what is. I'm trying. I was turn. I was doing so good, not cursing. But you're like you're shitting on the spirit of the moment, which is enjoy the Super Bowl. Stop worrying about everything else for for one moment, right? You just won three straight playoff games. After you hadn't won a single playoff game for 34 years, you've won three straight. You're, you're in the Super Bowl. You're on the biggest stage. Your city's being talked about in an amazing light. You're getting pictures of your skyline shown. You're getting celebrities wanting to come and do profiles on your city. Gronk you're getting all this great stuff. All this, yeah, everybody wants to be a Bengal. Everybody's talking about Joe Burrow. Everybody in the country who is a fan of sports or football is enamored with your team. Enjoy it. Just enjoy it and stop worrying about if is this local media person being objective right now because they're not, and it's okay right now because we are in the Super Bowl. If this was week 17 and we lost to the Kansas City Chiefs instead of winning that game, then I expect them to be doing their job and not being and, and, and going in and doing the criticism on what happened during that game or what made this season not a success. If this team was five, and 11 and or five and 12 or whatever the projections were, then let's go and talk about why. But right now we're in the Super Bowl. So at what this if, point, 
let me what ask are you the this. criticisms? What if, what are the criticisms? It's so hilarious to me. What if instead of journalists acting, and I'm just being devil's advocate here, but hear me out. What if instead of acting like fans, instead of acting like you and me being excited about being in the Super Bowl with unabashed joy and, and saying, you know what, this is amazing. I can't believe this is actually happening right now. What if instead of doing that, journalists actually use this time when all eyes are on the Cincinnati Bengals to ask some difficult questions about what ownership has done in the past and the lack of infrastructure the team has and the lack of spending on key resources that might make this type of winning more sustainable in the future. What if they asked those questions that said, Hey, how are you going to make sure that this young quarterback who is one of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL can continue to do this type of winning year in, year out for the rest of his career in Cincinnati. What is ownership doing to make sure that it's sustainable and not a fluke like has typically been the case under Mike Brown? What if reporters and journalists actually did some of that and, and kind of went against the grain to bring attention to important topics about this specific franchise and its shortcomings over the last 30 years? 2005. One of the first, one of the first, you know, first in within the first five years of the original Lord and Savior, Marvin Lewis taking over the reins, Carson Palmer, you know, Cincinnati Bengal comes in AFC North champions. We repeat in nine, 13 and 15. What do you mean? Right. Winning divisions, winning our division. Okay. We make the playoffs those years, right? Okay. We lose all straight, all five of those. My point is, though, those are years of success that you are making the playoff. Those teams weren't bad. Those teams were good. Okay. They were so collapsing. What you're saying cases. now is there's not a Mike Brown problem. Mike Brown has done everything right. No, and, I'm and saying we're like okay. you want to no you want to you want to try to use this particular moment where you're on your your high. You're on the highest of mountains. I'm not saying the fans have to and do it. I'm is, saying journalists would do that theoretically because that's, that's not what, what honestly that's what that's a that's journalist's job is. I don't want to, no one cares right now. It's water under the bridge. We've talked about it ad nauseum about how bad that stadium deal was. Let's bring it up now that the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. But that's no, the point. you already that's, beat it to the, To be fair, that. that is the counterpoint, though, is that it's that's, not their job to be fans. It's their job to do some goddamn reporting. That's what they've the already point done is. it. They've already reported on that enough. So now you want to be on the biggest stage. Like, you know what? Don't go to LA. Don't do enjoy this. Don't, don't cover what's going on right now in the present. Focus on a deal that was made 20 something years ago and how bad it's been. What there's, there's been enough exposés on the wall street journal about how bad stadium deals are for cities that make them with pro. I'm talking teams. about Mike Brown specifically. And there actually hasn't been much attention. Rarely does Cincinnati get, get, get talked about. Nobody's paying attention to Go Cincinnati. listen to any of our local media and have, have to hear what they have to say about Mike Brown 90% of the time. Like it's not, right. not and now when, stuff. when all eyes are on Cincinnati, they're not, they're not talking it anymore. Can you argue when you're in the Super Bowl right now? Like what, what is the argument then? Yes, you can. When, when the Bengals football team has to be bussed across town to practice in a college practice facility i think that's a little bit of a story luckily you don't have to recruit in the nfl so it doesn't matter the thing is i heard someone and we play i in saw a, we play in an outdoor stadium so you should be practicing outside uh, oh for god's sakes i saw someone clown the the fact that the Bengals had to be busted the bearcats practice field and and i saw a few people say like oh look at you debbie downer have to point out the negatives yeah it's good to point that out because that's something that mike brown should be fixing in the future look I saw I saw on the I saw on the internet's today. I saw a quote from Rob Gronkowski. 
the 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 man, the myth, the legend, one of the best tight ends to ever play the game. And he's a God, he's like 34, 35, 34. He's he's a, he's younger than Travis Kelsey, actually. Probably 30, 33, 34 years old. Yeah. And he makes a comment saying that if it's not Tom, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't remember the exact quote, but it's this is on point on message for what he was saying. If not Tom Brady, I want to play for Joe Burrow. I want to play with Joe Burrow. Very cool comment. Very, Very cool, cool comment. My point is, though, and the point I'm getting to here, his comment didn't say, you know, I would play for Joe Burrow, but you know, the Bengals don't have an indoor practice facility. <laughs> yep. It's all fun and games, though, until, until your star quarterback says we don't have the resources <laughs> to continue doing this and I don't want to stay here anymore. Look, money, space. I just, they want to keep, it's so keep, funny. That's not, it's that's so not funny what's going to get them to leave. It's funny to see fans defending journalists basically taking the taking the couple weeks off. Like I I understand the sentiment. I don't really give a shit if journalists are wearing Bengal shirts. I don't really care if they say the word. If I want like if I want that quote is unquote cool. unbiased, and this is this is if you're not catching the I'm fish, just saying uh, they should still do some reporting. I'm gonna go listen like first take or something if I want unbiased sporting takes, you know? Or I'm gonna go what? listen to Colin Cowherd if I want unbiased sporting takes sarcasm oh god okay sorry i didn't know if you were catching that i call him the most the unbiased sarcasm. unbiased unbiased uh, commentator man of man of the lover of big market teams i'm surprised he's even gushing over the Bengals this week because you know the the la rams you know huge market they deserve to be there with all the money that that la brings to to the sports world i'm surprised the giants aren't here with all the all the money that LA, new york brings but Did like, you see Pat McAfee talk about the Bengals? <laughs> Did you see Pat McAfee talk about the Bengals? I have not seen it. Okay. Have, they talked, I, I'm not capping he, up. He was, he was cackling. It was with Kirk Herbstreet and A.J. Hawk, and they were cackling about, the, about how players who were playing at SEC programs get drafted by the Bengals. And Kirk Herbstreet said, yeah, they're, from a facility standpoint, they're going back a step when they go to the Cincinnati Bengals. And Pat McAfee cackled screamed with laughter and said no 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 they're not taking a step back they're a cornerback backpedaling 15 yards they're taking 14 or 15 steps back from a facility standpoint yeah, and well, all that is to say right. hummer is that sure if you want to just be if fans want to just let journalists ignore it and not and not use this opportunity at when everybody's eyes are on cincinnati to point out that despite the Bengals doing this, despite Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor doing the unthinkable, Mike Brown is still terrible. They're doing they're doing all of this despite a terrible owner. We have this opportunity where reporters and local journalists could still be pointing that out, and they're they're choosing not to, and they're choosing instead to just be fans. And so if there's I was, plenty there's plenty of media coverage out there about the fact that we don't have indoor practice facilities. I'm just not worried about it if they're down there right now in LA watching the team get off the plane, chanting and cheering and yelling who day. I'm not telling I'm not fans gonna, to worry I'm, about I'm it. I'm not I'm embarrassed not telling about fans it. to worry about it, Hummer. And I'm not embarrassed. I'm not even embarrassed as a fan of the Bengals. I am in zero. It, it bothers me none that players who are getting paid millions of dollars to play a sport have to practice outside in the winter. I'm not losing sleep over the fact that Joe Burrow has to practice outside when he plays his games outside. I so don't, you, you don't care sleep. about a competitive disadvantage then 
It's is it one? Sure, but it's so convenient. Everybody was complaining about this shit until Joe Burrow carries them to the Super Bowl in three remarkably close games. It's fantastic. It's unprecedented. It's exciting. I'm in love. I love Joe Burrow, and I love that we're in the Super Bowl, and I love that we're about to win the Super Bowl. Dude, didn't they just? They, and here's don't the you want it to be fixed? Don't you want it to be better? Here is what is good about the Bengals not having an indoor practice facility. Ready? The best thing about it. This is a Bearcat Sports podcast. All right. They had to pay the University of Cincinnati some cheddar. All right. They had to help fund Luke Fickle's uh, re enrollment fund, <laughs> the re enrolling Luke Fickle fund, the re upping his contract fund by borrowing our practice facility. Let's just get him on a long term contract and we'll put some bangle stuff in there. It'll be perfect. Let's rent that. Sh- let's rent that stuff out to him. That sounds good, buddy. I'm going to, we're going to end it there. Uh, that was a fun conversation. I am I am giddy about cheering on the Bengals on Sunday. And uh, we'll see how people receive this. But anyway, who day? Can't wait to cheer on the Bengals to a victory Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, we'll talk. We'll probably do another pod on then Monday, Hummer. Let's do a pod on Monday. Or maybe Tuesday oh. after the Memphis game. Oh, no, no. Monday for sure. I'm taking the day off. I'm not going to work. Yeah, we're actually... We actually scheduled on Tuesday to do a podcast with, uh, or it's, it might be Wednesday actually. Special guests coming up, so maybe we'll just we'll wait until Wednesday. We're going to look. You're probably getting a special episode on Monday. It's going to be all Bengals Super Bowl. Could be that. So too. Pro- look, look, Bearcat Podcast, but look, it's Cincy Sports. It's exciting. Yeah, we're the only team, the only city in the world, in the galaxy. In the universe that has a college football team who made the playoffs and an NFL team that made the playoffs. No other city in the world, in the galaxy, in the universe can claim that. Go Bearcats. Who day?